see an animal skin. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do to you now. Tear the skin from your body. Slowly. Bit by bit. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. Thanks, Jack. Welcome back to Little Hops of Horrors Podcast. I'm John, your host as always. Not sure if you guys heard the bells or not, but I wanted to, you know, do a little bonus episode for you guys. Uh, turns out that book did arrive. Um, what a weird exchange of events here. Uh, I don't even know if that's a phrase or not, but that's what I'm going with. Um, yeah, it, it just popped up in my like Facebook feed, right, this book, and it looked kind of cool. I was like, you know, let's let's snag it, you know, for the podcast. That'd be neat to to dive into some Christmas lore, right? Um, and so I ordered it, didn't hear back from them, uh, you know, because in the year of 2023, you guys are, you know, you're used to it by now, right? We get like tracking updates or whatever, you know, this is your your, your date of uh, shipment, whatever it is. Uh, so a week goes by and I hadn't heard anything. So I reached out to the company and they said that, uh, oh, your order accidentally got canceled. What? <laughs> How is that even a thing? Um, you know, on their end, they said, well, it's in transit. We're getting it out now. And I was like, okay. So a couple more days go by and I'm still waiting for these, these tracking updates and nothing, you know, nothing yet. So I emailed them again. I said, I'll just take a refund. You know, I haven't had any tracking updates from you guys. They sent the money back and then lo and behold, uh, yesterday we get a package. So turns out I got these books um, for free. So the least I can do is, uh, is read you some of the stuff in here and, um, yeah, go from there. What are we drinking today though? Um, we're going to do Genesee citrus pills. This was a donation from a friend of mine. Thank you, Adam. Uh, very nice, easy drinker, uh, criminally underrated this whole Genesee thing. They're just like good, easy drinking, mostly beer flavored beers. I mean, you know, this is a Pilsner, but it's got some citrus flavors to it, too. I think there's like lime in here, right? There's lemon and lime. What is it? It's somewhere here. Uh, Natural tangerine and lime flavors. So, right, not exactly beer-flavored beer, but it is really nice and refreshing, and this would kill in the fucking summertime. But we're going to crush it right around Christmas. So uh, that's sitting at 4.5%. Again, nice, easy drinker. Uh, 3.75 on untapped. So not hated on, but not, you know, maybe doesn't get the appreciation it deserves. Uh, next, we're doing Double Hazedelic Juice Grenade from Grist House, 8%, 4.25 on untapped. Uh, another local guy. We have a lot of Grist House right now. But, you know, I go through waves where I'll, like, go grab a 12-pack from these breweries, and then I just have a lot of their beer on hand. So if you guys hear a lot of the same breweries in, like, you know, however many episodes, uh, you know, sorry about that. But that's just that's just how it's going to be today. Um, so we're not doing any movies today. Like, I... I might have mentioned uh, earlier if I didn't, sorry, but we're not doing any movie reviews today. This is purely um, just going to tell you guys a little bit about some Christmas horror lore. Um, not all that long ago, you know, in TV and, and, you know, we're so spoiled with technology now, right? And Christmas Vacation and 24 Hours of a Christmas Story and The Muppet Christmas Carol and Scrooged and, you know, all these crazy Christmas movies, that are Elf, you know, all this stuff. Um, plus the, the, the yearly, uh, 
new Christmas specials that come out with the new hottest you know TV show or whatever. Um, but for a long time, a lot of families didn't have that and they didn't have access to that stuff. So they would get together around the holidays and they would tell stories. And I guess some of the inspiration behind uh, why they chose Christmas over Halloween um, to tell these ghost stories because it was it was cold, you know, the trees were off, it was quiet outside, you know, it, it was just a, a little more creepy. Um, and there wasn't, I guess, a lot of work to be done outside. So you had more time to yourselves also. Um, so a lot of these, you know, Christmas was famous for you know, ghost stories. I mean, think of think of a Christmas Carol, uh, you know, Charles Dickens, and you know, there's three ghosts. Now they're not your traditional horror stories that we talk about on here, and definitely not the one we're talking about later this week, a Serbian film. But you know, just things were you know still a little creepy back then. And honestly, I think some of this shit was a little more twisted than uh, you know we give it credit for. Um, I alluded to a little bit in, in the Krampus episode about, you know, the lengths that these parents and grandparents or whatever, these older relatives would go to telling these kids, um, you know, you got to be good and pick up your toys and do your chores. You know, our kids now, well, they get a lump of coal in their stocking. Boo hoo. Uh, back then, you know, the consequences were a little higher. Uh, and we're going to cover some of those uh, today. So let me get a sip of this old citrus pills. Yeah, that's, um, like I said, man, that's pretty fucking tasty. Um, woo. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see if I can read and, uh, and talk <laughs> at the same time. I think I can, I definitely can do it, um, you know, off of a screen, but, uh, out of a book, this is a little different. And I, I was proof proofreading this a little bit, uh, earlier and it's, it's kind of written weird. Uh, this book that we're reading today is scary book of Christmas lore, uh, forget about Jingle Bells and Jolly Old Saint Nick. Uh, these are 50 terrifying Yuletide tales from around the world by Tim Rayborn. And so, you know, like I said, I was I was kind of perusing through here, and it, it's not necessarily from around the world. Uh, a lot of this stuff is from the same region, uh, and we're, we're probably going to do this next year too. I'll, I'll cross off the ones that I did this year, uh, so you guys will have something else to to look forward to. But a lot of this shit, okay, now we're getting further in, but I would say most of this comes from like Germany, Austria, uh, Switzerland, like the Alp, the Alps regions, um, which is interesting. I don't know if that has anything to do with this, but um, I mean, those are some old cultures over there. Um, and a lot of these, these, these creatures, these, I mean, I don't know if you want to call them cryptids or what the fuck they're even considered. Um I guess I should have looked that up. What they're even, I mean, what is, what is Krampus? What is he considered? He's like a legendary figure. Uh, I mean, he's not something that lives around all the time. It just says that he comes around once a year and, you know, does what he does. So, all right, we're going to look in uh, Victorian Christmas ghost stories. This is out of England. This is, uh, all right, let's just see. Let's just see what this guy has to say. It's only like two pages long. I have an order of things, you know, um, of how we're going to do these stories. So we're going to talk about Krampus. We're going to talk about Frau Perschta, uh out of Germany. She's fucking terrifying. Or Austria. One of those two. That area of the world. And then uh, last but not least, a very creepy looking uh, myth creature, whatever, uh, called Mari Lloyd. Uh, 
pictures will be attached to the post. So, you know, if you follow along on, on any of our social media platforms, uh, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But all three of these, I would not want to fucking see as a child, or even an adult. Uh, I don't want to deal with any of this stuff. Uh, so I'm going to try to be on my best behavior uh, going forward. So we're going to dive into Victorian Christmas ghost stories out of England. So here we go. Of course, we all know Dickens' A Christmas Carol, the classic tale of the miser Scrooge. Yes, that's not a typo. <laughs> and his redemption after three ghosts visit him, remind him of his past, show him his sufferings, show him the suffering, here we go already, Uh, (laughs) show him the suffering of all around him, and then reveal to him what will happen if he doesn't change his ways. That's like a 45-word sentence. What the fuck? Like this, that's what I'm talking about. So I was reading this earlier, and like, you know, Jesus Christ. So basically he talks about Scrooge, not to get too off the point here. Man, maybe this wasn't such a great idea, but hey, let's let's go for it, right? <laughs> We're already here. <laughs> Christmas Carol is one of the most famous and best-loved books in the English-speaking world and beyond, a classic that is read and enjoyed every year. But what many people don't know is that the Christmas ghost story was a staple of late Victorian holiday tales, and people love to read and listen to scary movies of ghosts and hauntings set during the chilliest days of the year. The cold weather, the gloomy fog, the bare trees, the snow-covered ground, all of these made for a fertile imagery for tales of spooks in the light. And as we've seen, the season seems to bring out the most terrifying tales in many lands. I wouldn't say that that's exclamation point worthy, but there there sure was one (laughs) there. Um, All right. Dickens himself edited magazines such as Household Words and All Year Round, and the Christmas editions of these publications almost always included ghost stories contributed by various authors. He stopped work on these in the late 1860s and left behind the idea of ghostly stories. He once wrote that he feared I had murdered a Christmas number years ago. I had murdered a Christmas number? What the fuck? All right, (laughs) perhaps I did. And its ghost perpetually haunted me. But by then, the idea had taken hold with readers who were eager for more. So I guess that means, you know, we as a as a people, as a as a species have always kind of geared towards, you know, the idea of like ghosts and, and the unknown and stuff like that. It's always been intriguing. Probably not for like big time, like late ancestor, you know, like a long time ago when you had a lot of shit to worry about. But if you kind of got your stuff together and you got a roof over your head and a, you know, your belly's full and you got people around you that love you and all that stuff, you know, maybe, maybe you can, uh, entertain the idea of, you know, some spooky stuff. Anyway, back to the, the story. Also, this is really just, this is nothing. I guess just the background of Victorian Christmas ghost stories. I thought there would be like actual story here, but not, not yet. All right. Authors such as Walter Scott, Elizabeth Gaskell, and Arthur Conan Doyle. I thought it was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Anyway, all contributed to the demand with a flair for the dramatic, purple prose galore, and more than a few frights. Consider excerpts like this one from Ada Boisson's, oh Jesus, The Ghost's Summons. Suddenly I arose. <laughs> Fuck, I need a beer. Give me a second. Man, this is this sucks to read from the book because it's like, Kind of easy to lose your place. I need like a fucking placeholder here. All right, let's try again. I'm not going to try to pronounce that lady's word again because I fucked that up so hard. Okay, the ghost's summons. Suddenly, I aroused with a start 
and as ghostly a thrill of horror as ever I remember to have felt in my life. Something what I knew not seemed near, something nameless, but unutterably awful. This passage calls to mind the later works of H.P. Lovecraft and his descriptions of unspeakable cosmic horror, and yet it is firmly set at Christmas time. Kind of cool, kind of cool. Um, very hard to read some of this old school stuff. Um, one of my favorite podcasts, Scared to Death, they he talks about that all the time. He tries so hard to read it, but the way they their sentence structure, and I mean, right there, I tripped over my words. I mean, that's nothing uncommon, as you guys know, but still... I mean, it's hard to read some of this stuff because their their delivery and some of the words they use, like unutterably awful. Like I've never seen that word ever in my life. Um, I know what it means, but <laughs> I have never seen that word in my life. And then to just throw it in the middle of a thing, whatever. All right. So how about this one from Horror, A True Tale by John Berwick Harwood. His name feels like it's missing a letter somewhere, right? Like in both of his names, it says John Berwick Hardwood. Like it should be Bertwick Hardwood or something. I don't know. Some, it just, <laughs> it feels like I'm slurring saying that guy's name. All right. Anyway, this guy's book, Horror, A True Tale, an excerpt. In the sickly light, I saw it lying on the bed with its grim head on the pillow. A man or a corpse arisen from its unhallowed grave? And unawaiting the demon that had animated it, animated it. Wow, what the fuck, man? These guys are fucking weird. Okay, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so but you guys can see that just like, I mean, I don't really know what that has to do. There's no context there, so I don't really understand what the fuck I'm reading here. But I guess, you know, this guy's really cherry picking. Um, let's get through this and we'll get on to Krampus and, and the other guys. But I thought that there was going to be more to this particular story. That's what I get for not proofreading uh, even more. The humor writer, Jerome K. Jerome. There's a fucking name. Wrote about the popularity of ghoulish seasonal tales in his book from 1891, Told After Supper. Nothing satisfies us on Christmas Eve but to hear each other tell authentic anecdotes about specters. It is a genial festive season. <laughs> this is killing me. It is a genial festive season, and we love to muse upon graves and dead bodies and murders and blood. Jeez, I mean, I, I share the same sentiment as the author here. He says, well, all right then. Uh, yeah, that's not what we do now, <laughs> but I guess we've come a long way uh, as a society. I don't know. I don't, I've never been to a Christmas party. They were like, fuck yeah, more stories about dead bodies, murders, and blood, please. No, it's like pass the eggnog or whatever. Actually, I've never had eggnog, so, but it just sounds like it fits in this particular uh, episode. Anyway, these stories are not what we might expect to go along with our eggnog. Look at that. See, see, I wasn't wrong there um, <laughs> with our eggnog and Christmas cookies, but they are most definitely a popular part of Victorian holiday celebrations. We might think such tales have more place at Halloween, and that's because that is the exact shift that it occurred. By the early 20th century, interest in Christmas ghost stories was waning, except for Dickens novels, while in America, Halloween was becoming the time where all things spooky would be celebrated, thanks in part to Irish and Scottish immigrants. Who had, been, who had had a long tradition of recognizing late October spirits and thin veils between the worlds. But that's another tale for another time. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. And I hope you guys learned something so far in the 15 minutes of me tripping over my fucking words and all that other stuff. All right. 
So let's go into Krampus. Uh, let's see what he has to offer. Uh, we touched base on him a little bit, um, or well, his movie, and uh, kind of fell fell short for me. But apparently, this dude had one hell of a reign of terror over Bavaria, Austria, Slovenia, Croatia, and Northern Italy. So again, like Central Europe. Okay, God damn it, we're having internet issues again. But all right, let's talk about Krampus. Krampus is, of course, the granddaddy ooh, of all European winter holiday monsters, a fearsome furry demon with a terrible attitude that can't wait to get out in the snow and cause mischief. He's certainly not the oldest beastie haunting the holidays, but these days, wait, what? He's certainly not the oldest beastie, oh, haunting the holidays. Ah, idiot. Okay. But these days, he's definitely the most famous. So it's natural to begin our ghoulish gallery with him. Yes, this is from the beginning of the book. Um, I already passed over uh, a St. Nick story where he talks about like St. Nick uh, was around in Turkey in like 300, like the year 300. Uh, and there was like some butchered children that got eaten by a butcher or something. I don't know. That was a weird story. Uh, there's not a lot of substance to these. So, uh, I can see why this book was only $10, but we're, you know, we're going through it. Um, and hopefully you guys do end up learning something because I have learned stuff already too. So here we go. Krampus accompanies St. Nicholas and his very own night, the eve of St. Nicholas holiday. In fact, the night of December 5th, Krampus knocked is the time when he is most active and when children have the most to fear. He is often depicted as a horned satire, like goat footed demon carrying a large basket on his back into which he will toss naughty children to drag them off to terrible tortures. <laughs> he usually drags chains and carries a root. I don't know what the fuck that... Oh, it tells you right here. A bundle of birch branches that he uses to swat misbehaving children. <laughs> if that's all they get from him, they should count themselves lucky. Yeah, I would say so. His name comes from the old Bavarian Krampen. Krampen. Ugh, <laughs> oh, Krampen. What the hell kind of word is that? Anyway, all right, meaning dead. Okay, I guess that's what it means. Or the German cramp, meaning claw. So you just put an end on the word of a... Never mind. Either word seems like a good etymology for him. What? What? All right, I don't know. He has long been associated with St. Nicholas and the tales of Krampus and his punishments. My... What the fuck? Dude, this is killing me. This is hard to read here. Um... It's so much easier when I get to type stuff up. I should have just done it that way. All right, we're going to take a little pause here. I'm going to recalibrate, and then I'll be right back. Give me 30 seconds. All right, we're back. Hopefully, this goes a little better the second half now. Okay, so where were we? We were talking about, uh, well, why he got his name. Uh, he has long been associated with St. Nicholas. Uh, yeah, this was the fucking thing that, that messed me up. <laughs> and the tales of Krampus and his punishments might date back as early as the 7th 7th century, though it seems that the earliest written records of his, this frightening figure date to the end of the 16th or early 17th century. So he's been around a long time wreaking havoc on these kids in the, uh, well, in the center, central, uh, central Europe area. Um, doesn't seem like he made it over to America, but they, they, that festival looks super cool. I'd really like to go one of these years. Uh, Pittsburgh has one, uh, Krampus knocked. Uh, on the 5th of December, I think, um, or the 4th. It's that weekend, uh, but they turned down, downtown into like a big uh, 
Krampus party, <laughs> for lack of a better way to describe it. Um, all right, back to this. It's possible that fears of a menacing Alpine winter visitor predate Christianity and that the legends and festivals were intertwined with Christian belief when the church realized that they couldn't be eliminated entirely. Interesting. So this fearsome night creature was given a holy role within the church to punish sinners, especially children. The Nazis banned Krampus celebrations. What? <laughs> but the people were having none of it. Wait a minute. So the Nazis wanted to get rid of Krampus, who's literally the, like an evil person. The all right, I'm not making light of this. It's just funny. It's kind. That's of, no, not funny. It's ironic that the Nazis didn't want Krampus, uh, but they saw no problem in the Holocaust. Right? There was a line. Krampus is the line. The Holocaust is not the line. Good God! What a fucking world. The Nazis banned Krampus celebrations, but the people were having none of it. And as soon as those lovers were dispatched, Krampus came right back, bigger than ever. Today, of course, there are Krampus celebrations all across the Alps and beyond, even in the United States. As I just mentioned, they start in early December and extend into January, no longer limited to one night, which is a great thing. There's no shortage of people willing to dress up as Krampus, Krampi, Krampuses, and take part in parades and other big ho holiday get-togethers, posing for pictures, scaring kids, swatting tourists with fake bird birch switches, and having all sorts of fun. Yeah, that does sound fun, just smacking random fucking people with bundle of sticks <laughs> dozens of people might uh show up dressed in their krampus costumes ready for a ghoulish party krampus is an institution now in a big business though in the villages and the more remote areas of the alps celebrations tend to be smaller and more traditional with just one costume demon accompanying the beloved saint as they make their rounds from house to house checking in on the behavior of the local children variations on krampus are many and we'll look at some of them in the following pages, which you guys cannot see. But I did post one with our uh, with the uh, tag in this post, I guess. They're united by the idea of a menacing monster that threatens naughty children with torture and worse. And that often accompanies St. Nicholas or sometimes other holy men. The blend of the blessings and the curse is a common theme with the idea that being with the idea being that those who have been good will get what they deserve as will those who haven't in recent years krampus has become something of a holiday classic starring in horror movies music videos and more this obscure figure from the frozen mountains of europe has taken the world by storm krampus huh pretty cool though um like to see more of this stuff and and i've always liked this this you know i don't know maybe i'm i'm a bit of a romantic here with all that but you know we we have all these insane fucking movies out now right like we have Saw, we have, you know, I don't know, Godzilla. I know he's not horror, but, you know, um, you know, the Conjuring universe and, and just all these insane fucking movies out nowadays. And we would not be here today if it weren't for stories like Krampus, like what we're talking about, you know, um, later in these, you know, this, this episode or whatever. But uh, the Frankensteins of the world, you know, getting from Mary Shelley, you know, her, her writing that and, and the monsters like like the wolfman and the mummy and you know all of these these things inspired um you know modern horror uh which is kind of cool and part of the reason why we did this now i'm sorry this hasn't been a fluid read i do apologize for that um it's written kind of weird and the guy uses and a lot um probably where he should just end a sentence uh but you know 
who am I to judge? This guy has a book and I don't yet. Anyway, all right, so we're going to talk about Frau Perschta, right, out of Austria and Bavaria. Again, that same area of the world uh, where apparently they hate fucking children. Um, that's a weird way to say that they hate children. There we go. Um, Frau Perschta, or simply Perschta, is a bit of a mystery. Some suggest that she was once a goddess in pagan Germanic times, one of the people viewed favorably. She might be a version or a variation of any number of Germanic goddesses who legends, whose legends spread throughout Germany and beyond in the times before Christianity. I thought there was a period there. There was not. See, this guy just... Dude can't fucking write. <laughs> All right. Um, or she might have been seen as a guardian spirit of some kind. She is first mentioned disprovingly around the year 1200 and might have been a figure that was still venerated or placerated, placated, placated. What the fuck kind of word is that? Plac placated, placated. Wow. There we go. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> let's start over. <laughs> or she might've been seen as a guardian spirit of some kind. She is first mentioned disprovingly around the year 1200 and might have been a figure that was still venerated or placated in some ways. But, as often happened, the church was not thrilled with the idea of reverence of a rival, the ideal of reverence of a rival spirit, much less a god, and probably set out blackening her name until such time she was taken down a page or two and made into a fearsome winter witch, accompanied by demons and other creatures of the darkness. Okay, I'm going to count the fucking... So, Look, man, I don't read a lot of books, but I have written uh, some shit in my life. I'm going to count that last sentence that I read. I'm going to see how many words were in that. All right, so this, okay, here we go. One, two, three, right? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 36, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 57. Bro, that's a fucking paragraph. That's not a sentence. That was fucking 60 words in one sentence. Do you get run on sentence? How did you even get the... Who produced this? Or not uh, published this? Who published this? My God, I'm going to... Look, man. Like I said, I'm not an author. I'm not. I know. <laughs> but a 60-word sentence? Are you kidding me? Back to the story of Frau Perschta. She has a charming nickname. Belly Slitter. Which, this is fucking creepy as hell. Her picture I actually have attached to the uh, to the post. And she has this huge fucking scythe, like handheld scythe-looking thing. Um, anyway, so we'll, we'll learn more about that as we go on. A few centuries later, we would find the words Perkton and Perschleven often referring to ceremonies or processions in the Tyrol area of Austria that featured some of the demons and ghosts. What we've come to associate with these holiday time monster mashes at the holidays. Okay, whatever the fuck that means. In legends, they were demons and ghosts. Okay, here we go. <laughs> This is just a fucking train wreck, and I'm going to fucking put this up uh, 
in the episode description. This is an absolute train wreck. I'm sorry. I wanted this to go better, but it's just not getting any better. <laughs> Mainly because this guy can't fucking write. Um, I, you know, next year I will go through this book and I will take excerpts and I will put my own spin on it so it's easier to read because uh, this guy's a fucking idiot. Um, and if he's listening, he's not. Uh, he doesn't care. He probably made, you know, however much money off of everybody off of this piss poor reading writing sorry um all right where the hell were we in this fucking that was like we're only two sentences in apparently um <laughs> in legends they were demons and ghosts that roamed the night skies and a demon named Pershed seems to have come become a krampus like figure did Pershda give her name to these celebrations quite possibly the twists and tangles of history of these mysterious beings are confusing and will probably never be unraveled but at some point, Frau Perschda became another one of those creatures that haunts the night. She came to resemble the classic stereotype of an old crone or witch dressed in rags, holding a cane, old and wrinkly, but also sometimes having a beaked nose made out of iron. What? And she would often carry a knife or other dangerous weapon with her. She loves spinning, which might have given her uh, the association with the old Germanic Norse goddess Frigg. Okay, well, I don't know who that is. And keeping things tidy. Okay, so, again, but I don't know what that has to do with anything. Anyway, according to legend, wool or flax had to be spun and ready to weave by January 6th. And for those who didn't have it ready, there would be some nasty surprises in store. She might visit the house and set fire to any fiber not yet spun. Worse, the households, the householders had better have tidied up and left out a bowl of porridge for her. Well, imagine back then where like <laughs> food's hard enough to come by as it is. And this legend's like, yeah, just leave out some porridge. Uh, if not, this bitch is going to come and light your fucking house on fire. But it gets worse. I did read. This is the one that I wanted to read because I just couldn't imagine threatening your children with this one. But if someone scoffs at this or forgets the oatmeal, old Frau Persta will fly into a rage, burst into the bedroom, disembowel the offender, and fill their empty abdominal cavity with straw and rocks. Happy New Year! <laughs> when she's not busy ripping guts out of lazy housekeepers, she is sometimes said to ride with the wild hunt, accompanied by the Pershton. More on them later. On page 33. Why didn't you just leave that? Just leave it out. Why is that even in the fucking thing? This has nothing to do... Whatever. It's not my book. It's not my book. It's not my book. The sounds of winter and thunder are their noise. Winter, oh, wind and thunder, you idiot. We don't get thunder in the winter. Do you guys get like winter thunderstorms? Like the only time we do that is if we get like a weird 60 degree day in January or something, you know, but there's no winter thunder. I don't think I thought you had to have, I don't know. Anyway, um, the sounds of wind and thunder are their noise. Not, not anything as mundane as the natural elements. Okay. While Krampus focuses his evil on the early part of December, Frau Perster refers to prefers the Thursdays before Christmas in the whole of early January, which is one of the way to tell them apart. Okay. Um, I thought one was a huge demonic looking beast and this is like a witch. Uh, so, but thank God the timing is the thing that tells them apart. Well, that and the whole disemboweling thing. <laughs> Uh, maybe Krampus is into that one too. Who knows? Okay. I'm sorry, man. All right. We got our last story here. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to get the fuck out of here because this is turning into a train wreck real fast. All right. We're going to talk about Mary 
Lloyd, Marie Lloyd. Uh, this one is super fucking creepy looking. Uh, and if you stuck around this long, thank you. Uh, cause this is, it's a rough one guys. I know. I'm sorry. I actually had to go get some Pepsi cause I have a fucking headache right now and I can't, I don't know if it's going to help or not, but if you hear the ice jingling around, I have tapped out on the beer for, for right now. Um, and there's no untapped rating for Pepsi yet. Anyway, maybe I'll make one. All right. Mari Lloyd out of Wales, right? So we, we touched on a couple different parts of the world here, and that was kind of part of it. Um, the procession of Mari Lloyd spelled L-W-Y-D. Yeah, uh, some of these old Welsh, um, you know, spellings and pronunciations are fucking hard. Um, you need like an extra tongue to say some of this stuff that they, <laughs> that are, you know, it's a little more common in their language than is it, it, than it is in ours. There we go. Um, all right. The procession of Mari Lloyd is one of the more fascinating and creepy customs to be associated with Christmas holidays, a Welsh tradition that has seen renewed popularity in recent years. Mari Lloyd is usually a mare's skull draped in a white cloth and set on a pole. So a horse carried by one person hiding under the cloth. The carrier can control the movements of the skull and even make it snap its bony jaws at unwitting people passing by. Mari Lloyd is usually decorated with ribbons and colors for the holiday, but that doesn't take away from her ghoulish appearance. Lights or Christmas ornament balls are usually set into the eye sockets just for added horror effect. Oh my God. <laughs> Couldn't imagine seeing that fucking thing walking towards you. Like... <laughs> Maybe there's a reason it's not here in America. The motherfucker will get shot. Um, not condoning gun violence. I'm just saying that's how we are here. Um, as, as you might expect, the name Mari Lloyd has an uncertain origin. Has an uncertain origin. There we go. It might mean gray mare. There are several light-colored horses in Celtic mythology, both in Britain and Ireland, that have these various abilities. And what? What is it? What do you mean various abilities? and can sometimes cross back and forth between the lands of the living and the dead. Oh, okay. You should have put that first. Um, yeah, you should have put that, should have put that first. Okay. Another possible translation and tradition is gray Mary, which posits a Christian. What the fuck? I've never heard. I've never seen that word before in my life. Okay. Which posits a Christian origin for the creature. It tells the rather sad story of a pregnant mare that was led out for the manger to make room for Mary and Joseph. She had to find a new place to give birth. Well, that's fucked up. The practice of carrying Mary Lloyd was first recorded in 1800 in a book titled A Tour Through the North Part of Wales by one J. Evans, who I've never heard of, but apparently there's one of him. Um, though it might be... <laughs> Sorry. A little dad humor there for you. Uh, though it might well have existed for a lot longer. Oh, that was the fucking sentence. Okay. But the creature might not have been, <laughs> might not have. I hate this guy. I fucking hate this guy. I'm sorry I chose this book. I'm sorry I chose to give you guys a bonus episode that we're 35 minutes in and it is taking forever to get through. But I swear to God, I just want to get it done. I've come this far. I'm just going to finish it. Okay. See how much better I flow when I don't have to read dumb shit right? This is why I can do a podcast by myself because I can flow. I'm fine. Everything's okay. Don't have to read some idiot's fucking word structure. It's terrible. All right. Anyway, but the creature might not have pagan origins in any case. Okay. Many scholars now believe Mari probably only dates to the 16th century as it has features in common with 
other hobby horse traditions that became popular across England then. This tradition is basically a mumming, was sailing or caroling celebration that taking place during the 12 days of Christmas, where the holders of Mary Lloyd, see, there we go, there we go, error, they misspelled it, I knew it, I knew this was amateur hour, <laughs> take this call from house to house in the village starting at sunset, okay, so they would take a they would take a skull from house to house during the 12 days of Christmas. Interesting. Mary Lloyd isn't always the uh, only unusual figure in the group. There might be other recognizable figures such as Jester, Jesters, Punch and Judy. I don't even know what the hell that means. Or other stock characters. Okay. Uh, they, will go they will go to a house, knock, and ask to be let in, singing traditional Welsh songs. But it's the homeowner's responsibility not to let them in. Responding in song, okay? So there's just a fucking rap battle uh, in the middle of Christmas. And so the contest and fun begins. The Mary Lloyd and the homeowner might offer up a P-W-N-C-O. Poinco? Ponco? P-W-N-C-O. That's, not, that's an abbreviation. Anyway, rude poems and rhymes to try to outdo each other. Rap battle. See, I was fucking right. So they <laughs> they literally have rap battles in, <laughs> in Wales to keep this fucking like donkey skull out of your house. If the owner of the home finally gives in and accepts defeat, they are expected to let in the re re revelers. Okay, there we go. And offer them some food and ale for their efforts. Once inside, Mari... Might snap at children. Oh, that's fucking terrifying. Either scaring or delighting them. In fact, it's in the owner's best interest to do so. Having Since having Mari in as one of Holmes guarantees good fortune in coming here. Okay, so she, they're a good thing, even though they scare your kids. Um, okay, then the revelers will leave and go to the next house and start all over again. So basically, if you have like Eminem on your fucking squad as... One of your uh, one of your rap battle guys, you're gonna get fucking wrecked from all the good ale that you're gonna be drinking at these people's houses. One would imagine that it might be pretty full. Yep, see, there we go. <laughs> one would imagine that they might be pretty full and inebriated by the end of the Mary Loud run, Mary Lloyd run. Needless to say, this creepy caroling session wasn't always popular with the ministers in the 19th century, some of whom wrote damning condemnations. But though it waned in the 20th century, and it has seen a renewed popularity in this, with two T's, this century in T-T-H-I-S century. That this is, see, this is this had to be self-published because this fucking blows. Anyway, um, <laughs> but though it has it waned in the 20th century, it has seen a renewed popularity in this century, ensuring that the mayor's skull and her obnoxious handlers will continue to brighten, darken, towns in wales and beyond for many years to come and with that i am done fucking reading this garbage book the best part about that book is that i'm going to be able to pull some ideas for next year and i'll be able to do my own research and probably pull some stuff the guy it's just written really weird so again if you if you suffer through all 39 minutes of me trying to fucking read that uh i do appreciate you um yeah this was this was a trip regardless um you know, I hope you got some sort of entertainment out of a little bonus episode we put together for you. Um, later this week, to end the year, we are doing a Serbian film with Austin from Frightmares. Uh, I, I'm not looking forward to doing this. Uh, we're probably going to talk to him about his um, some of his favorites from the year. Uh, we just did our awards episode the other day with my lovely wife. 
Um, we're going to talk about some of the stuff that, that he uh, enjoyed this year, see if um, maybe we have different opinions on some things and, you know, maybe just, just see, you know, feel it out, see what's going on. Um, and I'll ask him if there's anything coming up next year that he's really looking forward to. But recording schedule coming up, um, we do have another bonus episode that I'm going to drop for you guys that I dug up from the archives from the early days of getting this together. Uh, we're going to do paranormal activity um, with my buddy, Chef Chris Galarza. Uh, so that's already done, actually. Um, but again, this this was the early days of this podcast. Um, we're going to drop that for you guys, maybe just to give me a, a, a break um, from having to, to record. It's not, it's not like this is a, a strenuous job or a tedious job, but trying to fit it in sometimes, especially with the holidays coming around, like it's, you know, an, an extra episode, uh, is nice to have in your pocket. So I might toss that out, but to start the year, uh, next year, we are going to do Mothman prophecies. This movie is, uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but, uh, it's actually going to get released on my dad's birthday. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. And uh, as you guys know from me talking on this podcast, he's a big reason why I'm into horror movies now uh, and Halloween in general. So, you know, figure this, this, I'll tell the story on the podcast um, of why in particular that movie will always remind me of him. And, uh, you know, we'll just do that one uh, that day. And then after that, I think we're going to do The Lodge. And um, then we're about halfway into January almost. So we, we have some cool stuff coming for you guys. So again, thank you for the support and, and everything. It's been, it's been fun. It continues to be fun, even though, um, I can't fucking read to save my life sometimes. Uh, but that's, that's more on the author, I think, than it is the reader. I didn't do that. He did that. So, um, you guys have a safe holiday. Um, you know, just, just take it easy. Uh, not too much eggnog, please. We need you around for, for the listenership and for everybody else, you know, in your life. So, <laughs> um, seriously though, you guys have a good holiday. Uh, we will see you on Friday for a Serbian film. Cheers.